All right, and we are happy to welcome to the podcast today Tori McAdams, a freelance writer from Los Angeles and a friend of mine since very, very young. So welcome, Tori. We're all very happy to have you on. Um, how is, uh, how's life been, man? Uh, life's pretty good. I'm about to move to Boyle Heights, um, mm-hmm. finally getting a one-bedroom to myself. I get to be the single cat father I've always hoped to be. Uh. <laughs> a nice succulent garden, as is popular amongst the young hip white people these days. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's how many the... how many cats do you own? So I have one cat, but so I got my cat Oliver because my neighbor is like a drunk, negligent artist, and Oliver wasn't getting fed, so I started feeding him. And now this other guy, this guy's other cat <laughs> is also becoming my cat. <laughs> so I. And then like another neighbor has a kitten that also hangs out in my house all day. Oh, so I, I have a I have a cat in like two wards of the state. <laughs> so, so you're like you're almost stealing cats here, but like I, not actually taking them. I I would say one cat is mine. One cat is my ward, and <laughs> the third cat uh, likes me better than he likes his owner. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of cats, I guess or not. Uh, Tori was uh, had the exclusive pleasure of meeting our intern Blueberry. Yes. So you should feel very honored about. Oh, that. you met Blue. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just it was in passing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's a he's a figure that it's just hard to uh, not acknowledge when you see him. Um, so most recently, it's so with the writing. You just came with an article yesterday about O3 Greedo and his crazy crazy life and all that. What was it like interviewing? I guess like the first thing I thought of was like, what is it like interviewing just like a straight up killer pretty much and like a, a dude who just like bangs and like. Do when you like you know grown up in Silver Lake, it's probably like you you get a certain rep, I guess. How do you kind of <laughs> shake that and be able to just like walk in wherever and interview these dudes? Uh, so that interview was not in Jordan Towns. We actually met at his favorite restaurant, uh, the Stinking Rose in Beverly Hills. I don't know if you guys are familiar. <laughs> uh, he he's he I guess he loves garlic, and so I'm just sitting there in this like red vinyl booth, you know, inches away from Greedo. On one side is his manager, this guy TK. The other guy who I mentioned in the article, Law, who's another crip, who he's known for since, for like, I don't know, 20 years or so, and uh, another co-manager. And Greedo is, uh, he's really loud, like, just conversationally, he has this honking nasal voice. Um, and uh, the Stinking Rose is naturally pretty quiet, but especially in the late afternoons, there's not that many people in the restaurant. But I could still see sort of like their families on both sides of our booth, just like looking over because uh, I think he might have set the records for the most times uh, using the N word in, <laughs> in, in, in Stinking Rose history, probably within like the first five minutes of our conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of imagine that was, that was a, a big part of it. And that's that's a funny way to like, yeah, that's a crazy setting for a little movie like that, especially the guy like that. So um, the other thing I really enjoyed in the article is like how much kind of history you had from Watts and like the villa from the riots and everything, um, or it's called either the Rebellion, right? Um, how did you go about like doing all that research just to kind of like find out about the backstory of Greedo and then into the kind of like the criminal activity in the area at the time? So I grew up in LA and I've always enjoyed reading about LA history. So some of that stuff was actually just from books I have off my shelf. Um, Jill Leovi's Ghetto Side, which is about, uh, murder policing in Los Angeles, uh, gave me some pretty good facts, uh, Joe Dominic's Blue, which is a history of the LAPD, is a valuable resource. Uh, Kevin Starr's, I can't remember which California book, it, it's from 1950 to 1963, has a really good bit about the riots too. Um, but there's a lot of stuff, particularly as it pertains to LA public housing, that is a bit recondite. Um, 
Wikipedia is sort of helpful, but for the most part, you actually have to find like academic papers and city documents and stuff, uh, which it's all just like crappily put together PDFs by some underpaid assistant who just is using like PowerPoint for the first time, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm surprised we got it all together too, yeah. like that. And I know you wrote this for Noisy, which is the music wing of Vice, and. Um, just in the beginning of this process, when you were deciding to write about Greedo and you were getting into it, uh, how much, like, how did you actually get in contact with him? Because this seems, like, reading your story, seems like a guy who's kind of been all over the place, kind of pretty crazy upbringing, crazy life so far, and he's a young guy. Um, how were you able to, like, kind of lock him down? Uh, did Noisy help with that, or were you able to make some connections? Like, how, to take us through that process. So, Greedo has this management team, these dudes, TK and Picasso, Picasso with one S. Mm-hmm. Um, and TK has been around forever. He's really plugged in. And so uh, he's sort of getting Greedo more popular outside of Jordan Downs. Um, so I connected with him and Picasso through my buddy Jeff Weiss, former LA Weekly columnist. And they're the ones who set it up. Um, I just pitched Noisy, and but they don't have anything to do with really how I get in contact with mm-hmm. rappers for the most part. Have you always been this interested in rap like and it, it in that sense is it more have you always been an underground rap fan or is it more of someone like you you enjoy finding that that up and coming guy or is it something where it's a, a, an all around thing uh i guess it's kind of an all around thing i like writing about less popular artists because you can get them at vulnerable points in their careers and their lives where they're actually willing to talk about the things that they've done or the things that have happened to them and they don't have sort of canned answers like, I'm not really interested in interviewing, like, a, a Drake yeah, or even, like, a Future because they've been asked the same questions, you know, a thousand times. At a certain point, you know, you're just going to start giving the same answer to multiple people. They're media-tested, too. Yeah. Greedo is not media-tested, as yeah. I think hopefully comes off in the article. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he even talks about being, like, I got to walk my walk, you know, I got to learn how to talk my talk right now. It's like, well, you know, I'm still learning the process, I guess, in a certain degree. Yeah, he really idolizes Phil Collins in that respect. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't. He 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 calls him. He thinks Phil Collins sounds like a street person, like a street guy. Um, and but like it wasn't just that he likes how Phil Collins is like music sounds. Like he likes how Phil Collins carries himself, which I think is really funny, because they could not be two more different people in the Western world yeah, than I, mean, I think. Do you think he just like, listens to the in the air tonight and just kind of like jams out of his house or like? Well, apparently, yeah, he has a. He really likes, like, the sort of big atmospheric sound of, like, Genesis and Phil Collins, like, the big, like, sounds. That's crazy. Man, what an interesting guy. Yeah, I mean, is there anything, like, what was, I guess, the most interesting part of the interview? There's probably so much to it, but it's like, there's something that, like, really stuck out to you that you're, like, you know, if you finished up and you're like, damn, I want to get home and write about this right now. He's kind of an overwhelming interviewee because he speaks a mile a minute and... I think, but I do think the one thing that stuck out to me was the quote that I ended the piece with, where he talks about telling his daughter that she can't rely on him in the future, which is sort of terrifying and sad, but it's also a moment of like vulnerability and self-awareness. Um, it, it's weird that, it, it's shocking to see someone know themselves to such a degree and know that they're sort of violent and unreliable or... That their lives are that their life is so addled that their twelve year old daughter, you know, has to learn a sense of independence, which 
coming from you know a middle class upper middle class background it's, it's not something i heard as a child yeah definitely and i guess uh, i mean that's kind of good leaving and going on like how we know each other because like tori and i went to elementary school together you know uh he was like uh well you're two or three years old with me right or grades above me two grades yeah because you're the same year as my sister yeah exactly um and so we you know since back in the day we talked about this a little before the interview you know like i always remember going to tori's house and like looking at like crazy dope like hip-hop and basketball magazines that i just like had no kind of like no idea where even existed like growing up with my family because i just don't listen to anything like that my dad just loved steely dan and shit so that's all (laughs) i really knew for a while um big bob yes i think like that kind of goes back to the question like what like from the early on, like, did you just always, like, enjoy hip-hop? Like, what was the first album you bought? So, I don't know exactly the first album I bought. I think my dad had purchased at some point uh, the Sir Mix-A-Lot album with the Lamborghini on the cover. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, and I also remember getting uh, Chronic 2001 or 2001 when it came out, my dad got it for me when I was nine years old. The, un- <laughs> the uncensored version, which is That's a lot, excellent. which is a lot for a nine-year-old to process. And obviously, there's like not a nine-year-old in the world who really understands the degrees of sexuality and violence yeah. <laughs> inherent to that album. But uh, yeah, my dad, for those who don't know, which is basically everyone, spent a lot of his life as a music journalist or writing about music. Um, and both of my parents are extremely, extremely liberal. And so I think my dad sort of prided himself on being able to expose me probably prematurely to a lot of arts and culture. Um, like I saw The Godfather, I think, when I was 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> what, and I mean, obviously, it sounds like you got into this at a young age, as you're explaining. But um, in terms of the writing and you know, the storytelling that you do now, when did that become a thing for you? When did you get into that as a way to express the feelings you had about these kind of this music or this you know, concept and then putting it out there for other people to hear about or know about. So I did a zine with a couple friends in high school for like the better part of a year. Um, and then I didn't really write at all until about a year after I graduated college. Uh, I was interning at a PR firm in Highland Park uh, and I really hated it. And my buddy Jeff, who I mentioned before, has this website, Passion of the Weiss. And we'd met, actually, at one of my other internships. Um, and we, we talked, and I wrote an article for Passion of the Weiss. Uh, and that's just kind of how it started. Um, I, I wrote for the website, and still do. And it's sort of a way for a lot of young writers to build cachet, and, you know, I'm one of them. And there's a lot of other writers out there who did the exact same thing at the exact same website. Yeah, definitely. I know that, you know, myself and Sully and... You know, we have some, uh, Jesse a little bit, we have some writing background as well, but we also did this podcast to kind of expand our medium and in terms of the ways to get our message out. And I know you mentioned Red Bull Radio, and you have a show on that, I believe. Uh, is it Headphone Highlights? Is that what it is? Uh, Headphone Highlights isn't my show. Oh. Um, I do freelance for them, though. Uh, I mean, so, yeah, how did, um, talk about that a little bit. I mean, obviously it's different than writing. It's a different way of getting the message out, but it's still storytelling and talking and uh, what brought what got you interested in that? Um, I actually did college radio at Kaoxy. Shout out oh, Kaoxy. Nice. Uh, no longer has an FM frequency. Nice. Uh, so you can really just do whatever you want. Um, but I did Kaoxy. Um, and then we do Passion of the Weiss Radio. We did it on Dash FM, which is actually owned by Vikings fan DJ Ski. Uh, I know Ski was a Vikings fan. 
Oh, Ski's the most Minnesota man ever. He's yeah. got perfectly uh, opalescent white skin. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him. Un- like... Yeah, unblemished. He's extremely polite. <laughs> uh, I think he was on the sidelines, actually, for the playoff game against the Saints. But anyway, we did the show on Dash for a while. Um, and now we do a show on Dub Lab uh, monthly, second Saturday of every month, 6 to 8 p.m. Um, so I guess I've been doing radio kind of on and off for the better part of, like, four, four or five years now. And the most recent one was the G. Perico um, episode, I think it was last night, right? Yeah, it aired last night. Yeah, how, how is G. Perico? Is it, I mean, I, I really like his music, I think. And it's almost similar in the fact that he's, I mean, gang-inspired, uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. Is he someone that you kind of saw similarities with, with Greedo? Or, I mean, obviously they're two very different people, but um, did you kind of, were you able to, understand certain things because of your experiences with the other or um that was actually the second time i had interviewed g uh they actually they know each other i think fairly well and have worked together um g perico is a little bit more media savvy um but he's an extremely extremely like nice and forthcoming dude Mm -hmm. um that's actually been my experience for the most part with a lot of gangster rappers is um either through self-awareness or just general kind just general kindness they're actually all pretty much forthcoming as interviewees and uh yeah i really like interviewing perico i think we have a good rapport um you know if there's any rapper i would have a radio want to have a radio show with it would actually be him just because he's uh ready to crap wise <laughs> yeah, the Jerry Curl, or Jerry Curl enthusiast too. I believe it's calling too. I mean, I like that look. I was just looking at the. I listened to the show last night. It just seemed like an interesting dude. Very forthcoming, like you said. Very funny. Um, I guess the, the one thing I just wanted to go back to, like kind of the gangster stuff. I was just looking at that uh, through Greedo's Twitter last night and looking at like his followers, and he kind of had like a mix of rappers that are you know connected to Bloods and Crips. Is there like a certain point as an artist when you kind of like rise above like the gang affiliation and just work together, or is there always kind of that? presence in the background sort of so i've asked a few rappers about this and i the best answer i ever got was from tc 4800 um who's a crip he's from uh midtown mid city and i asked him i was like you know hey you're homies with yg you guys have made a lot of music together in fact he was on the original version of toot it and boot it mm. um and his explanation was that like hey yg's from compton I don't have any beef with anyone from Compton. That's not my territory. I'm not going to record with the blood down the street from me. Yeah. Um, and I think that goes with um, Perico and guys like Greedo. Um, I know Perico has reached down and done songs with uh, Rucci, who's a blood from Inglewood. Um, Greedo has... Uh, oh, and also, there's also G Worthy. G Perico did that with J Worthy, mm-hmm. who's a blood, uh, also from Compton. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, most guys, they get to their mid to late twenties, early thirties, and you're not trying to have shootouts, you know, you you have a life to live and, you know, children to support and a a career to maintain and, you know, no one wants to end up shot over some rap beef, basically. Um, recently Greedo actually had beef with RJ, who's a blood, and Greedo actually made it a specific point that, you know, this he wasn't going to let it turn violent or let it turn into some street shit. He wanted to keep it strictly on record, and they're actually doing two shows together, uh, one in Santa Ana at the Observatory, and then I think one at the Resident. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, just no one wants to die over rap. <laughs> yeah, right? It makes sense. Yeah. I think that's, like, kind of a coming-age thing, because it's, like, no, it's just the history of hip-hop was so viral for a while, and, like, it's most notoriously, like, Biggie and Tupac dying. It's, like, I feel like ever since then, people less and less have wanted to kind of, like, you know, die over their music, at least. Yeah, mm. I mean, Dolph did get shot in Hollywood, though. Yeah, that's true. That, I mean, I, I'm not surprised. He said some pretty foul things about Yo Gotti and his girlfriend yeah. but the brazenness is really shocking um yeah it was like right Dolph does not like, care it was on like hollywood environment wasn't it yeah it was that uh a... it was at the shoe palace right yeah no it was that a it was outside a hotel what's the hotel um it's one of the ones on the strip though it yeah. was literally broad daylight on the sunset strip yeah that's insane yeah. um that's crazy man that's such an interesting world to you to kind of like get that inside look at dude it's a uh... It's something I feel like I've always been, like, super interested in, you know, kind of, like, even especially the smaller artists. I think that's, like, the best way to, to like, kind of just approach it because, if they, like you said, I think just being so open and forthcoming, you learn so much about it. And learn also about, like, the guys who are stars now, kind of probably how their background sort of came to be in the same sort of uh, material that they kind of look to, I guess. Yeah, just, like, the regional concept as opposed to, like, a broader base that you have here. Um, and that leads me to my question about uh, Boycott LA Weekly, which I know you're very vocal about on Twitter. Um, you know, obviously what happened was there was a new ownership group came in and there's layoffs and, uh, kind of the new ownership group as from my understanding is down in Orange County, conservative, rich people, and, uh, really kind of going against what LA Weekly is all about as a place to uncover, you know, underground or things that are very specific to LA. And obviously that's something that you're passionate about writing about these kind of concepts. And, uh, I know you have been pushing for advertisers to pull out of their deals with LA Weekly and just that whole movement. And I want to know, like, what? Why are you so passionate about it? Uh, I, I obviously it's probably because of you know your affiliation with this type of writing and this this type of uh, you know landscape. But just what what is what inflames you so much about that? Um, I think there's a lot of layers to it, but the most important one is that. The Weekly is basically LA's second largest newspaper, which is to say it's the second largest newspaper in the second largest city in the country. Um, and this sort of takeover, I don't think was inevitable, but because the because Voice Media Group uh, mismanaged it so severely, you know, it, it was a depleted resource. Um, and yeah, it, it, the sort of advocacy that the new ownership group, Seminole Media, uh, believes in, I think, is pretty anathema to Los Angeles and its vulnerable communities. Um, as I'm sure every listener, or most listeners are aware, and you guys are aware, you know, gentrification is a really big deal in Los Angeles, and there's really a shortage of affordable housing. And the irony is that a couple of the weekly's new owners are developers. Um, and uh, part of what they're actually really into is uh, their... The guy Halil Aaron, who's the new EIC and a former staffer, has some pretty uh, strong anti-union viewpoints. Um, and so the plot, we think, is that they want to decrease the power of the teachers' union um, to further uh, pro-charter uh, advocacy. And because the teachers' union is such a strong uh, group in California politics, if you weaken the teachers' union, you weak democratic politics and politicians everywhere. Yeah, and it's it's just crazy because I've seen you know, just it seems like a mess since that happened at the end of November, and the weekly is rerunning old stories from people that they laid off and just changing the date and stuff like that. Just crazy stuff like that, um, and obviously the boots on the ground boycott LA Weekly movement 
has been getting steam. I've seen you doing it on social media. How has that been going as of now, mid-January, a month and a half later? Um, a lot of advertisers have pulled out. It's sort of difficult to tell. Um, the weekly is so short-staffed that it seems like there's an effect, but ideally what would happen is that the weekly uh, owners, Seminole, decide to sell to a sympathetic owner, and it can sort of go back to, I think, well, better than the status quo than it was under uh, voice media. Ideally, it would become a, a voice for a lot of underprivileged communities in Los Angeles that has a more stable ownership of either someone sympathetic or writers and editors themselves. Um, I don't have any interest in being part of an ownership group or even being an editor or working there, but uh, I do think it's important that uh, writers and editors themselves have a stake in the company. Yeah, have you ever contributed to the LA Weekly at all? In the uh, past? I was in. I wrote an article for the People issue in 2015. Okay. Um, part of the thing that's really sad about the Weekly is uh, the pay is really, really bad. Um, you know, a lot of writers, myself included, uh, Jeff Weiss, Max Bell, who wrote a lot for them, Rebecca Haithcote, uh, Katie Bain. A lot of them took hometown discounts or at least adopted hometown discounts to write for them and you know as a not as a public service entirely but you know understanding the role that an alt weekly should play in a city and yeah hopefully with new ownership you know that trend can be reversed it's a really bad time for media and um yeah it's it's tough to watch some a paper that should be one of good repute fall into such disrepair yeah, that's wild, man. I think that's a really great like explanation of it too. Like, I, didn't, I think I didn't even know it in such great detail. But that's something that any of us should certainly be getting behind. Anyone that's listening, because I feel like a lot of our listeners are just people who are interested in media and advancing that should just know about and, and be on board with. So, thank you, I guess, for leading the charge too, as well, because we're you know a bunch of lazy asses and someone has to do it. So I'm glad. I think um, that's, uh, actually just that's Jeff Weiss leading the charge. Oh, uh, we'll get Jeff to Weiss, Justin. Jeff Weiss, Katie Bain, uh, Rebecca Haithcote. Um, Max Bell, very active. Uh, Haley Potaker behind the scenes. Uh, Brad Beatson, shout out Brad. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. Well, we appreciate all those people for sure. Um, so, of course, here we also talk about a lot, a lot of sports, and I know uh, you are a Falcons fan, uh, and unfortunately, a couple weeks ago. RIP in peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have you thought about the NFL playoffs so far, and specifically, I guess, the game you guys had uh, a couple weeks ago? Uh, the game a couple weeks ago. You mean the, the Eagles game? Yeah. Yes. I don't know what to say about our red zone play calling. Um, it was a rough year for the offense. I think there was inevitable regression from two years ago when they were one of the top 10 or top five offenses since the AFL-NFL merger. Um, but it really felt like Steve Sarkeesian never had uh, his finger on the pulse of the offense. Uh, it just felt like... Julio Jones had the ball less. It felt like the running game really stalled out near the end of the year, and I think that was pretty apparent when they scored 10 points against the Eagles in you know, a divisional playoff game. Did you think it was too good to be true when they had that pretty good performance against the Rams here in L.A.? Because uh, obviously you know, they had their ups and downs during the regular season. Coming off the Super Bowl, they come into a road game against a team that's really been hyped up all year. They don't make any mistakes, really. They win that game on the road, and then kind of fall flat again the very next week did you were you kind of did 
Did you know enough about the team to say, I'm not going to get too excited after that win? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if you've watched the Falcons for as long as I have, you know not to become too optimistic. I'm also just a natural pessimist. I think the Falcons are going to lose every week. Um, but yeah, the, the flatness of their performance, I, I think, was pretty shocking, especially coming after, coming after a dominant win. Yeah. Like, I mean, they shut Todd Gurley down, and I thought, like, oh, well, if they can do that, then... Yeah, they, they can, can shut Nick Foles down. <laughs> yeah. um, but that goes along. I mean, would you put it... And I know I, my answer is, is probably the same as yours um, because of how I feel about this person also. But would you put it all on Sark? That loss does feel like a Sark, a Sark loss. Um, a lot of the year, the defense was really brittle which has been sort of a trademark of the Falcons the last few years. Um, what do you... I see your USC lanyard. And, yes, uh, I, I, I... I assume you have negative feelings towards Zark. Yeah, I I, uh, I do. Um, I think that he was terrible for the program. I think that didn't really, obviously, end well. Um, I worked in the football program as well so <laughs> when I was at USC. So Sark is an interesting guy. I think he... I think he's a he's a good offensive mind, but then you get this kind of thing where, like you said, all year, Julio, and it's not. I don't think it's anything to do with the fact that some people are saying like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones just aren't on the same page anymore. I don't think that's a Matt Ryan and Julio Jones problem. I think that's a play calling or a coaching problem, and that immediately would have to go to Sark. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, Matt Ryan actually had a really strong year. Um, the receivers, on the other hand, did not. I think Ryan had 11 interceptions, 10 or 11 interceptions on the year, and 7 or 8 of those were uh, due to like receiver drops, basically. So he actually wasn't worse, really, than he was two years ago when he was incredible. Um, the receivers just tailed off, and I think a lot of that has to do with a change in coaching and a change in scheme. And yeah. it's also, I mean, Sark has been bouncing around everywhere in the last I mean he goes to Alabama it's for wild. like two weeks how, yeah and then three weeks, yeah. decides oh never mind I'm just gonna go take this Falcons job it's, or I'm gonna like and it, it happens so quick after he came out of rehab even like yeah it's it's wild to see his his path and then see it just end up <clears throat> sorry where it is yeah it's strange I don't you know that always confuses me about football maybe it's just pro sports in general it's like how people get a job once and then continue to get a job despite failing again and again like it just doesn't I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me, but I guess that's just kind of how the league works. But what do you think about the, I guess, the rest of the playoff matchups? Obviously, the Vikings, you know, they got to be looking really good in my mind. So, uh, <laughs> and everyone else, I just want to know what guys are thinking, you know. Do you think that the Vikings go to the Super Bowl? And also, do uh, the Jaguars and, and King of the NFL, Blake Bortles, have a chance? Would you also, would you uh, say, him hey, tread with, tread with, you know, I don't know, the, the, uh, the caution. Word, yeah, with caution, because, I mean, I'm sure you were feeling pretty, Good about going to play the Eagles without Carson Wentz, and then that happens. So would you would you say, beware, be careful, <laughs> or because I know I'm I'm sitting here like the Vikings have to win this game, right? Yeah, my I, my assumption is that the Vikings will win, but the Eagles' defense is strong, and you know if Jay Ajayi gets going and Foles starts burning you on seven yard outs on run pass <laughs> options, it, it could be a frustrating day for Vikings fans. It's uh, a, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not, I think, like, when you were going back to being, like, just a pessimistic fan, that's the way I am for the Vikings. Like, last week, 
like the, the Saints kicked that field goal and, and like in my mind like just knowing sports I was like you gotta still believe but like I, in, in my soul I was like we're dead we've done it again like, as, as a Saints fan you had that pessimism the Vikings fans, yeah, yeah that's what I mean but yeah, yeah it's a, I mean you guys have a history a playoff history that is spotty um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's very generous the way you put that but um yeah, you know, it, it's crazy. And what about, I mean, just Blake Bortles? Like, I want to know, do you think he has any, you know, chance in, in New England doing that? I mean, if they're going to win the game, they're going to need a massive performance from that insane defense. Um, I mean, if Bortles can make plays with his feet like he has, I don't see why they can't theoretically win. I mean, my assumption is that evil wins and the Patriots go to the <laughs> Super Bowl. But I, I would like to imagine a world in which Blake Bortles dr- drunkenly stumbles into a Super Bowl, Super Bowl <laughs> huddle and throws up on the feet of Marquise Lee. <laughs> Shout out Keith, USC gang all day. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just so excited that we're this close to the Super Bowl and there's a possibility of a Case Keenum, Blake Bortles Super Bowl. Like, that's hilarious to me. And I think the way that they get this done, if they can, if they can win anyway, it's that defense, like you said, and they got they to gotta get to Tom Brady. If you can somehow rattle him which is tough because sorry but I mean he yeah, wasn't rattled brain, down 25 been, that brain's been rattled so many times <laughs> what's rattled yeah, to that now. like just, you just gotta you gotta hit him repeatedly like you gotta just <coughs> bruise him and then hopefully you're in a game at the end and something crazy happens yeah I think the the funny subplot of going back to the Eagles Vikings is the uh, Jeff Fisher uh, oh, yeah. Jeff Fisher quarterback bowl. The Jeff Fisher bowl. I mean, there's had, so many like layers to it too. But go. Ahead. Yeah, Jared, Jared Goff, uh, Nick Foles, and Case Keenum all Jeff Fisher retreads or throwaways. Yeah. Oh, and, and the best part about that too is like, yeah, I think I saw this on Twitter. It's like Case Keenum is number seven and Foles is number nine. To uh, quarterback Fisher, seven and nine. <laughs> just uh, just more layers to it, I guess, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Well, he's what is he? He's tied for the most losses in. I think he's the most. Uh, I think he's, I think he's tied. I think he needs one more to take it by I think, himself. Yeah, I think they fired him just so he didn't get the record. Oh man, can we get can we get like Somebody a retroactive loss? Right? <laughs> <Yeah. hell? laughs> you know how, like the, how college football teams are always changing their record because like recruiting violations. <laughs> you know, like a, Jeff, a retroactive Jeff we Fisher need loss. That. Yeah, I'm I'm very on board for that. And uh, going, I guess we'll keep it in the hometown here. You know, obviously also a big Lakers fan, which is it, it, I don't know if they're trying times anymore, but it's like this is this season is is still taking a good amount of me despite us like not really being in playoff contention. Because I just want the team to do well. Well, I'm, I just want to say I'm glad. I was looking at your Twitter last night, and I noticed you had some feelings that are similar to mine about Contavious Caldwell-Pope and his ill-advised jumpers and what he brings to the team. I just, let's just start there. Uh, should he be playing? Should Josh Hart be playing over him? What are we doing with KCP on the court? Uh, I don't know if you saw the tweet, but there's basically two versions of KCP. There's Contavious Allswell-Pope and Contavious <laughs> Caldwell-Poop. And there's a... Uh, I like KCP. I, I liked him in Detroit. Um, I think being forced into or being forced or assuming the role of, you know, shot creator and has extended his game uh, beyond where I think is comfortable for him and is good for the team. But he does bring a strong defensive mentality typically, and that was lacking last year. Um, I like Josh Hart, but I don't think Hart is at the point offensively where. You know he can take that kind of role that KCP has, even if KCP is struggling. Fair enough. 
Mm. What, what are your feelings about uh, our I, boy? I will, I will say he's looking better. I was very, during his jail stint there, where you could tell he was kind of sleeping on like hard beds that for that couple of weeks there. Uh, Didn't his jail? I, I saw some of his jail like a sixty-five know. inch TV. Yeah, 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 it was, really, like, he was, it was not a soft bed. It was probably a soft bed. Yeah, you, I don't know. Something was going on obviously with his game during that time because some of his decisions during the jail stint were just not very good. But I noticed since he's been out of jail, he's been making. You know, yeah, we're talking not being in better. prison. What a right. what affect your back? <laughs> <your game. laughs> it's crazy how that goes. Right? It's crazy how that goes. Uh, I mean, you're right. He does bring a good defensive presence. He is, I guess, technically the veteran on the team, even though he's only 24 or 25. Um, but I think the main reason, as we've talked about on the podcast before, is that his agency is the same one that represents LeBron. So they're kind of using that as a bargaining chip to show, you know, we can, we'll pay you, we'll treat you well here, we'll let you play a lot, despite the mistakes you might make on the court. So just another recruiting tip. Uh, as well as the Blaze Pizza inside Staples Center that uh, yeah, I had really, last week. Yeah, they really enjoyed that. What do you think, I guess, just going on that, do you think LeBron's coming to L.A.? Because we're all, I mean, I am at least, I'm pretty, I think he's going to be here, so. So back to being the eternal pessimist, I don't think LeBron's coming. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he is either. I don't know why you would leave Cleveland to come west and run the gauntlet uh, of the Western Conference in the playoffs. I mean, there's, I mean, the Western Conference is a bit injury-bitten this year, but... Even so, why wouldn't you stay in the East? You have you have to be one good team, really. Yeah. The playoffs are two, depending on who you catch. But yeah. Um, I think yeah, that's probably the biggest thing holding him back. At the same time, I think there's going to be a lot of rearrangement in this off season because there's so many free agents. So that could slightly worsen the West, but still, it's got such an advantage on the East. I guess that doesn't make it true. I just I don't know. I just look at like you know. So many times people, I think more so now, athletes are just making decisions more so based on like their personal just preferences, like where they want to live, what they enjoy and all that. And LeBron just having two homes out here, starting a family out here, doing all that. It just all kind of points in that direction to me. But from the basketball mind, I guess that does make a little more sense, but maybe I'm just a little too excited about it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, do you think that we're getting PG-13 as well? No, I think LeBron, it would be like LeBron and a big man. Yeah, I think it would be like one of the other. Yeah, I think so. But um, I, I also wouldn't even, I mean, Paul George, you know, it's hard to just overlook him. He's, I think I've watched him more and more this year, too, just in OKC, because also just been on national TV more than they have recently, than compared to Indiana. And he's, you know, lights out, especially in a system that works for him. I think he would do just as well, especially if you team him up with a big man down here. And then the youth, you know, Kuzma, Alonzo, and all that, just... It, I'm still excited about the future regardless of what happens this offseason if we don't get LeBron. I think it's still going to be okay. I still think they're going to get some kind of star to come in and help out the team. We definitely have the guys, and we just need the centerpiece. Yeah. You know, so it's like once we get that centerpiece to lead, and then once that centerpiece comes three, four years down the road, one of those young guys is going to be ready to be that centerpiece. Exactly. So we just need someone for that in between time to get us back to the playoffs. And And I think Paul George is someone to do that along with the big man. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of saying. You know, I think I've mentioned it to you guys, but I don't know what you think about it. if LeBron were to come or Paul George were to come. People are arguing against it, saying you know LeBron's on the tail end of his career. Why would we want to? Why would the Lakers get him when he's you know kind of done soon? But I think, as Jesse just said, if LeBron could come in and sort of usher the young guys, Lonzo, Kuzma, um, and those guys into the next level, uh, I feel like they're struggling to get there on their own. You see the flashes, obviously they're comp- they're playing competitive with these teams. But if they can get a guy like LeBron, who is known to make other teammates better, and kind of usher them in to where they're ready to just take on these teams by themselves, then at that point LeBron can kind of you know retire or whatever it is. And also he offers a you know a bargaining chip for other free agents who might want to come play in that system with LeBron with these young guys who show promise. I think you need somebody 
a big name like that to get to that next level. They're so close. They just need to get something. I think a player like LeBron or Paul George would help out with that. It seems like there's a degree of unsureness in the organization as to who of the young pieces is a keeper. Uh, it seems like Randall, Clarkson, and Nance are on the trade block. Clarkson yeah. and, and Randall, for sure. Uh, I don't mind Clarkson getting traded. Uh, I think he's a great six man, but not a centerpiece. I, I do wonder that. I do wonder if the organization is properly evaluating Randall's potential. Uh, he's maybe the least subtle basketball player ever. <laughs> like when yeah. he's playing well, you know exactly why he's playing well. It's because oh, yeah. he's he's barging over people, throwing up crazy left-handed floaters, elbowing dudes in the dick. Uh, and when he's playing badly, he's throwing turnovers off his foot. You know, blowing <laughs> yeah. layups, fouling, and just being kind of petulant. Um, but I don't know. It, it feels like they don't understand how rare a player like Randall really is. I mean, there's not six, nine dudes built like an 18 wheeler who can lead the break. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that's something a player that should be traded. It doesn't feel like a player that should be traded. Yeah. I mean, it's weird to me because it's like, we almost had that years ago in Lamar Odom in a sense of just like a seven foot point guard who just could at certain points just take over the entire opposite part of the game. And, I just think, I mean, I love Julius. I, I think I'm with you. He's just so unique in the sense that he can just give buckets at will in NBA, which is like not many of the players can do, and especially someone as young as him and, and, and like kind of who's still figuring out their game in a sense. His, um, his youth is the biggest question mark. I mean, he, when he plays well, I just wonder what we could get back for him. And that's, that's the tempting part because he is so good, because he's so young, and he has this possible future. But then what if we could get something, and I'm not saying do it, I'm just saying what if we could get something rich back for him, and then when he goes somewhere else, he doesn't live up to his potential, and we win that trade. It's a possibility. Oh, for sure. It, the I've seen the rumors, I read the rumors or whatever, and it seems like a lot of packages for Randall revolve around getting a first-round pick back. Um, but he hits restricted free agency this summer, and so... You know, a team that trades for him theoretically could lose him. Um, and so that I think that dampens a lot of uh, the trade packages. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to just have... It's not, he's not necessarily a player that you just take a flyer on for a year and hope you win a championship. You want to build with him. So I think that's a good point, too. Um, and also just going to the other side of the youth. Can we just get your thoughts on, on Big Baller Brand and, and Lonzo and, and the, I guess, like, the dynamic of that whole situation right now? Uh... God, are you tired? I guess the real question is, are you tired of Lavar Ball at this point? Uh, I am tired of Lavar Ball, but he serves, I guess, a purpose. Um, I feel for Lonzo because he's clearly caught between his father and the Lakers organization. Uh, I mean, so much of what the so much of the position he's put in is being asked to either defy his father or defy his employer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and defying his father for most people, for most NBA players, isn't a major issue. They're grown men, but he's still yeah. 19, and his father is LeVar. Um, I like the points LeVar has to make about the NCAA and amateurism. Uh, I don't necessarily like that he sent his sons to a small basketball club in Lithuania to <laughs> spend their days uh, eating borscht and dunking on emaciated <laughs> Eastern Europeans. Um <laughs> It feels like he did a disservice to LaMelo and LiAngelo. Um, 
you know, Leangelo did fuck up at UCLA, but he could have sat out the year and played next year. Yeah. And he wasn't a highly regarded pro prospect before. And so, like, why would you why would you rob your son of a chance, one, to improve as a basketball player not in Lithuania, and two, to just to get an education? Um, but LaMelo has always been a highly regarded prospect or, since he entered high school. Yeah. And it, it feels like by sending him to Lithuania, he's putting him on a, a career path that might not be desirable or might not be as LeVar intends. Yeah, I mean, even after LaMelo got pulled from high school this year, he's still like the number seven prospect in this class. So it's like, I always thought he was wrong. It's like, it's tough to imagine a 16-year-old going to Lithuania. Like, obviously going to get better, but there's a ceiling to it, and there's only so much you can learn there, I think. Yeah, and that's the question is, at what point does he come back and play in the United States? Like, you know, maybe he comes out and he balls out in Lithuania, right? And he becomes the best player in the, not even in the league, because LeVar actually pulled that team out of the league, and they're just running exhibition games on Facebook Live. Um, but at what point do you... Let's get them hearts going, people. <laughs> yeah, right. Ball to ball, Elliot, let's get them hearts going. <laughs> at what point does he come back, and like, where does he play? Because he can't play college. Does he just go straight into the draft? And at that point, he's not going to be ready. Like, he's, he's playing against grown men, but he's playing against grown men that aren't NBA players. So how does he... I, I don't understand... What, I mean, his long-term plan is Lamelo's going to play for the Lakers, but that can't. It's just it baffles me. Yeah, right. My assumption is that at some point he's going to come back and sign with a D League team. But G- he's G- sorry, sorry, yeah, uh, the Gatorade League. <laughs> yes. Uh, the I don't know how old he would be when he enters the Powerade League. Um, <laughs> hey, but I think he might be in the big baller league that Lamar's starting. Hey, uh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, what, he's 16 right now, right? He's not even 17 yeah, 16, yet. 16. Uh, you can't enter the draft until you're 19. Yeah. It's a year. 18. It's a year removed from a high year school. Removed from high school. I, see, I don't even know like, what his So how does that, yeah, how does like, that rule apply to like him? Usually someone would leave, like they'd rather do one and done, they'd just go to Europe for a year, but he's been pulled out of high school and will be you know living in Lithuania and playing Lithuania for probably two years before he then to the league. And like for international prospects, you can kind of come over whenever, or at least your rights can be drafted by the NBA and he can stay in Europe for another year. So I don't know where he falls amongst those rules, kind of. Jeremy Tyler, I don't know if you guys remember him, yeah. Uh, yeah. did a similar thing. He dropped out of high school and went and played, I believe, in Israel. Um, he couldn't handle he, it there, right? He, he, he never really hacked it. He played a bit in the NBA, but, I mean, it, it, that's not the path I think LeVar wants for his son. And I would certainly feel bad for LaMelo if, you know, this move to Lithuania begins a, a span of just peregrinations to Japan and Korea or Qatar or whoever is paying him the most. Yeah. Yeah. And before I move off the big baller brand, since we're talking about it, it's a question that I have to ask all our guests when we talk about the big baller brand, but do you watch Ball in the Family? I do not watch Ball in the right, Family. Fair enough. My man. One of us does. <laughs> yeah, I, I watch anyway. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about So we've talked about music, we've talked about sports, but it would not be a complete about love. episode. Yeah. <laughs> about love. It would not be a complete uh, episode of Cautiously Optimistic if we didn't talk about food. And every episode we do a fast food flavor. I noticed you have the Rick's uh, so much shirt Shout out Rick's. on right now. And so we, yeah. yeah, we just got to know, you know, where, where are your go-to spots? Obviously, I think Rick's might be one of them, judging by the shirt. But yeah. uh, on, the, on the fast food variety, and, and for this, I guess like for your favorites, like In-N-Out doesn't count because it's obviously the best. Like That's why we look at it. 
It's like we don't. It it it's it's also kind of sad to me. Like I mean, and and it's from my own rules, but it's like we don't, I don't talk about in and out on it because it's just like what's the point? It's just obviously way above everything else. But um, so that's but yeah, going on no in and out just because it's unfair to everybody else. So so we're going chains only, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will admit that I have a certain affinity for Popeyes. Okay. Mm, they just reintroduced the five dollar big box, big play. Um, yeah, the, the Popeyes nearest my house does not have bulletproof glass, which I feel like takes away from the ambiance. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, the first Popeyes I ever went to was on 125th Street in Harlem, and that, my friends, has bulletproof glass. <laughs> uh, what some other? Uh, I I live near Jack in the Box. I I basically won't patronize it. Unless it's a desperate situation. Um, Can I ask why? Uh, I'm not the biggest Jack in the Crack fan. Uh, I guess I'm trying to think. Just a taste thing, or uh, I guess of all the fast food burgers, I would say Jack in the Box is the best. Well, well not counting in and out. Okay. What? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys? What do you guys? Carl's Burger. Yeah, I mean, any of this? I mean, like for me, I've always liked the classic McDonald's because my family, growing up, every Sunday we'd go to McDonald's. I didn't and, know that. And it's just, uh, yeah, see, <laughs> see, uh, it's just like, uh, it's just the french fries and, and like a, a Big Mac is just a pretty ideal to me. It's hard to beat as far as fast food goes. Talked about it last week as well. The, and I've had it three times since. The new value menu at McDonald's is incredible. So much variety. <laughs> uh, it's, it's definitely a big step. And so I know you are also from Silver Lake, and what do you think of Rick's? He has a shirt on. I mean, How can you vouch for we it? We were talking about this on the way in Torrey now. It's, it's what's, just, what's, if you're from L.A., Especially Silver Lake, I think you put it, it's like our one, like, spot that, like, Silver Lake just holds it down, like, still, Rick's is always going to be there, it's just a staple of the area, like, if you grew up in Silver Lake, you know Rick's, get a Rick's special with cheese, and you're pretty much good to go, essentially, you know? I don't, are you guys from, you're from Southern California, Jesse? Yeah, Nick, are you? Yeah. Um, Altadena. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things that a lot of people from L.A. don't do is, do you, you guys don't go to, like, Taco Bell or Del Taco, do you? I go to Taco Bell a lot. We actually took our uh, podcast. Christmas Can I ask why? Taco I think Taco Bell is delicious. And like, there's a thing. This is the thing. Is it? Uh, and and I think I know where you're going with this. Like, because we have really really good Mexican food here. Yes. Very good. <laughs> very good cheap like tacos, like street tacos. They're incredible. And I but you go I for don't, a, you go for a different flavor, right? Exactly. It's a different thing. I'm not Fast going to Taco flavor. Bell yeah. for like a really good carne asada taco. I'm going to Taco Bell for a taco with a shell isn't a tortilla it's fried chicken like that's what i go to taco bell for is the creativity <laughs> it's a different taste i go for the baja blast like taco bell is incredible uh we'll go on to your point no i was gonna say I, a lot of people in, in la are i don't think frequent taco bell or del taco <laughs> as much because yeah. like why would you go to taco bell if there is a dude selling cheaper talk cheaper and better tacos down the street that are just dripping in lard and mm-hmm the sweat of some poor migrant who's always looking over his shoulder for the new age Gestapo ice. <laughs> yeah, true though. Um, yeah, so I, I don't have any internal rankings with Mexican fast or pseudo Mexican fast food chains. Nah. How, what's your opinion on Burger King? I'm curious. Uh, I, I don't spend a lot of time in the BK lounge. Uh, I don't, I feel like Burger Kings are, have sort of receded from Los Angeles. I don't know where the nearest BK is. And there's the only one I've ever known, and it's still there, is that one that's right there on San Fernando. That's just actually up the street from Rick's. 
Oh, yeah. It's like across the street from McDonald's and an El Poe Loco. It's like that little power corner. They used to have a Yoshinoya there, too. <laughs> I, like the, I like calling it a power corner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are, are we counting El Poe Loco as fast food? Yeah, we, we All are, right, uh, I would say El Poe Loco yeah. in the non, uh, non-In-N-Out yeah. division is probably the best fast food since it's like actual food. Yeah, that's El Poe Loco is a, is a great place. Yeah. I wish there were more. Like, I mean, I, mean yeah. I, I don't have one super close to my house. And uh, El Poe Loco's got very good chicken. And I mean, I know that's obvious, but it, it's, it's crazy. crazy. What you call it crazy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you go so far as to call it crazy. Um, but sorry, I just want to get back to the Rick's point. I think you had something to say just about it being a staple in the community, like compared to tacos, maybe. Oh yeah. So I wouldn't say Rick's is like the best food or the best burger by any stretch of the imagination, despite what their sign might claim. <laughs> the best burgers uh, in LA. The best burgers in LA, in fact. Um, but yeah, Sulphur Lake has become a lot more. Uh, bougie since Sully and I were kids True. and like you know where I would say like when we were kids hard times pizza might have mm. been a sort of Yo. cultural equal yeah. uh, a lot of restaurants that were just sort of cheap and quick have disappeared um, and sort of right, Rick's is a staple yeah I think I think for me the, the, like, the trio would be like Rick's hard times and Leela Thai Leela Thai still there? Yeah, so I think to me, I don't go to Leela Thai as much. Um, a very mediocre Thai food. Yeah, but it was just always like, it's, it's <laughs> but they deliver. Thai. Exactly, there you go. I remember going to, to Hard Times with this guy a bunch of times. Yeah, we live off from our house all yeah. the time. But yeah, like you're saying, Rick's is still there, and I think it's about just supporting it. And, and I know they have that sign outside we talked about. It's like a dream to get your name up on there. That's my favorite thing always. Like, I've been, I mean, I've known Soul since seventh grade and like going to his house since then, and so like. One of my favorite things is always driving back and getting when I'm on my way back to the freeway, passing Rick's and seeing whose birthday it is. Or who's I, I hope when I, I hope when I die that they put my name up on the Rick's board. <laughs> I, I, I better than the birthday ones. I think the death announcements are <laughs> what truly really makes Rick's a special place. Yeah, I think the last one was like R.I.P. Big Baby, and I was like, yeah, Big Baby had a lot of Rick's in the day, and you know it, you know. Just yeah. Enjoyed it. Uh, the uh, the camaraderie of the Rick's workers is also something to be cherished, because they're almost all they're entirely circular Latinas, just perfectly round, <laughs> uh, and there's just a there's a constant back and forth that that's to be valued. Yeah, it really is. Oh, well, that's great. I think that pretty much covers everything we needed. Is there anything uh, you want to shout out or like a plug? Obviously, the latest article we should discuss, but anything else you got coming up or a show you'd like to let people know about? Uh, I just turned in a draft of a profile for of this guy Ruchi for Noisy. Uh, I've got a couple album reviews running on Pitchfork in the next couple weeks. Um, any shows coming up? Uh, Draco the Ruler uh, and Shoreline Mafia, uh, the twenty first at I think the Regent or the Resident. I'm not sure which. Uh, and then Ruchi is actually playing a show on the twentieth at. Uh, a clothing store on La Brea that's all ages so if you want to get mobbed and robbed by some 17 year olds from Inglewood <laughs> come through <laughs> yeah. we can uh, find you on Twitter at Tori Mac Daddy that's Tori with two eyes. that is two eyes, and Tori Mac Daddy on Instagram mm-hmm. everywhere well thank you so much for sitting down with us today uh, again go check out the article listen to the shows check everything out and uh, we appreciate you appreciate you hopping on Costly Optimistic Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Nice. Most of them just like ruins it for that's true. months. 48 dudes. Testing, 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 testing. <laughs> All right.
Welcome back to another episode of Cautiously Optimistic. You got Jesse jumping for joy. Look a little surprised there. It was it was louder than I was expecting, but here we are, gang gang. You well, know. it should be loud for Sully right now. He's coming back. He's back in town. It's more like a welcome back to Sully. That's from true. His yeah, that's true. Down to New Orleans, Sully. Let's just get right get right into it here. It is episode forty eight, the Javi Guerra episode. Mm-hmm. Your boy Javi Guerra, that closer. Your boy, as <laughs> TK like, and Michael Wilbon would say. I I still I got I guess love. I don't really know what he's doing, so I, don't, I couldn't yeah. tell you. What, right? <laughs> Probably out of the league by now. We you know Dodgers got Kenley Jansen as their closer now, but Javi Guerra had a nice little half season run there for a little bit. I just like to think that the Javi Guerra Kenley Jensen debate isn't over yet. You know, <laughs> it's and over. I love Kenley. You know, I love Kenley. That's. You that know. might be the hottest take on the situation there. <laughs> you um, never really know. You but guys. hopping back over here, I mean, you were, for those of you who don't know, uh, Sol was on a nice little road trip with our boy, friend of the podcast, mm-hmm. Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that final stop was New Orleans. Yeah. So, I mean, for I'll just cover all the bases. You know, first off, went to Albuquerque. Don't need to go to Albuquerque again. Just for FYI. Okay, right? good to know. There. A lot of homeless people. And just not a lot going on. A lot of great breweries, apparently. Didn't really check them out, so... Anyway, went to Austin, Texas. Austin, fantastic. Go to some queso, Tex-Mex. Barbecue is Nick. Uh, Barbecue next time, next mm-hmm. time, though. You got I mean, some brisket, though. Only there. Yeah, I had a brisket taco. You're on, okay. you're on your way. You're exactly. on your way. Exactly. You know, I was only there for 12 hours, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, next stop to Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is interesting. LSU's campus is beautiful. Football stadium, basketball stadium is beautiful. Um, Mike the Tiger, his exhibit, I got to go check that out, which I wanted to see because they really shouldn't have a tiger in Louisiana, no. but they do. <laughs> a very good and, Instagram live on our uh, Instagram yeah, page. Yeah, right. So I hope everyone enjoyed that, seeing Mike's cage and everything. Um, and the football stadium there is gigantic. Oh, for sure. It was, it was unbelievable how big it was. It like, it was crazy. Anyway, finally got to New Orleans, and you know I had had this trip planned for a while. And the fact that the Saints were playing the Vikings, albeit it was in Minnesota, which was probably for my own benefit, because if, you know I would spend way too much money going to the game. Had, 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 yeah, I, had yeah. to, I would have had to go. <laughs> um, so I went, you know, woke up Sunday, went to a little, you know, a local place to eat, and I was wearing my Vikings gear already. They were very nice about it, you know, they kind of teased me this and that before, uh, and we asked for some suggestions on where we should go see the game. Went to this bar called Tracy's, which is a great bar. I'd highly suggest to go and check it out if you're in town. Just don't do it if you're a fan of the opposing team that week. <laughs> so for me, we walk in. Literally, the first person we meet is like, you're about to go inside? To me, because I have my Vikings gear on. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm about to go inside. He's like, all right, well, good luck. And uh, <laughs> go in. We didn't get that far in because it was so packed. There's literally like 350 people in this wow. in a pretty big bar, but it was like still just jammed in there. and. You know, they're enjoying it. It was coming, you know, there's still some lingering Jaguars fans who were, you know, very excited about the win. Yeah. Uh, and so we, I made friends with them instantly because I obviously was going to make any friends with Saints fans. And, and we were chopping it up. They were sitting there rooting for me. Um, and so once the game started, you know, the Vikings got out to that hot start. They they jumped all over the Saints right off the jump. They have a great first drive. And it hit the, the Saints fans a little hard. You know, they, you know, rather than dropping F-bombs in my face as they had done it for the first 10, 15 minutes I was there, they kind of chilled out a little bit. So, you know, I, I felt pretty good, but I've meant, I made it a point to always be respectful. You know, I was in full Vikings gear. That was, I didn't need to scream. Like, it was already obvious. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 6'3". I was standing over a majority of the crowd, and I'm in purple, and everyone else is in black. It wasn't like I needed any more help. You're very noticeable. Out. Very yes. noticeable. Um, and so, you know, halftime, feeling pretty good. You know, the, literally the bar, probably I'd say like 25 to 30 people left. And, uh, I mean, they had somewhere to go or something, but noticeably less people. You sent the snap out. And yeah. And I believe that's when uh, the tide started to turn. Yeah. So immediately once I started talking trash, yeah. then the tide started turning on me because that's what always happens yeah. to yes. Vikings fans. Um, 
And so, you know, they score one. Vikings kind of stall. They go a little more conservative offense. Fans get, are, at this point, I've kind of built up a repertoire, a repertoire with people around me, knowing that I'm kind of, you know, not acting like an asshole. So, like, they're talking to me, and they're like, why are you, they just want to know, curiously, like, why are you a Vikings fan? Yeah. I continue to have to explain, growing up in L.A., yada, 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 the classic story. So, at this point, you know, everyone's feeling pretty good. And I didn't feel that bad. You know, I'd made more friends and enemies at that point. Then we get to the Saints' uh, lead-taking drive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're driving the field, and these Saints fans are going nuts, because we can't stop them. Drew Brees completes that fourth and ten pass um, to Willie Snee. Willie uh, Snee. Who Archie and I uh, always make fun of. And it was great just in my face, get rubbed on, watching him score, or, you know, 20-yard completion on fourth yeah. down. The fans are going nuts because they realize that they're going to score no matter what, regardless of it's a touchdown or a field goal. They're going to have the lead. So at this point, fans are, like, really kind of yelling, but yelling at me sort of, you know? How are you feeling at this point? At this point, it, again, you know, it's like Blair Walsh. It's like anything else. It's like, this is really happening again. Not that it's happening. It's like, yeah, it's happening again. You know, it's yeah. for a Vikings fan. This is how these things go. Um, and so we got the ball, you know, 30 seconds left. And in the bar, they put on all you all you do is win. Or all I do is win. And uh, I, deep down, like, I had, you know, I had a hat on. And so I almost went in tunnel vision watching the TV. Everyone's celebrating around me screaming i'm like we got 30 seconds like it's not that far like we're gonna start on the 25 end up starting on the 20 because we had a false start right off the bat <laughs> good good and yeah it was great and so i'm like we just need it's literally two completions so we get the first one to the 40 yard line and their fans are kind of like ah oh, but they're still like you know there's 23 seconds left or something like that and, and and it gets down there's one incompletion another incompletion now we're you know third down 14 seconds left whatever it may be and I'm like, all right, we just need one pass. One pass to get out of bounds. We have no timeouts left. I see the ball go up to the sideline. I see Diggs jump in the air. I see the defenders collide. And at this point, I really lose my shit. Like, I start screaming. <laughs> Joe's standing in front of me. I'm grabbing his shoulder, like, j- propelling yeah. myself up into the air, like, jumping up and down, yelling, like, oh, my God, is this really happening? You know, like, just uh, in disbelief. And then I was in disbelief for about 10 minutes. At this point, probably, I'm assuming... You are the only one making noise now. Only person, <laughs> literally only person in the bar making noise besides people swearing at the TV. And I'm much louder than anyone else. So at this point, people are now just like, you know, we Matt. hate we hate you. Yeah. And so uh, I kind of like had so much adrenaline. I, I don't think I'd ever, like very few other times in my life I'd ever felt anything like that, you know? Especially watching sports. Um, maybe only playing had ever got a feeling like that. Where I just, like, had no kind of control over, like, what I was thinking. Like, I didn't know what was going on. Like, I was conscious of what it was, but it was, like, it was, like, shaking. Was, yeah. You know, I, literally, my knees were shaking. And Joe's like, yo, we should get out of here. Because, you know, a bunch yeah. of angry Saints fans at this point. And I tell him, no, nah, I got to soak this in. Which is a mistake, because I should have gotten out of there right away. <laughs> yeah. And so, I try and leave the bar. Like, a Saints fan, kind of, like, he doesn't know I'm coming around the corner. He's like, where the hell is that Vikings fan? And I'm like, oh, no. what's up, dude? Like, I'm right here. I'm chilling. And so we kind of, like, look right at each other. And it was, like, one second. We're just staring, not knowing what's going to happen next. And then Joe grabs me. He's like, hey, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so luckily I got out of there. Ran into one of the Vikings fan on the walk home. Oh. And we hugged and jumped in the air. Like, she yeah. was almost crying. As you should. And, yeah, it's just like, you know, Everson Griffith, I think, said it right after the game. Everson Griffith, excuse me. He just uh, was like, this isn't supposed to happen to us. Like, this doesn't happen to the Vikings, and we just did it. And I think that's what I, all the reactions I saw, all the Vikings fans talking to, you know, the few friends I have that are actually Vikings fans outside of Minnesota. It's like, that's how you just all feel. It's like, these types of games don't happen to the Vikings, especially against teams that are so good, like the Saints. And it did. And now we're a game away from the Super Bowl, a game that 
we certainly should win, I think. I think we have a better defense. Obviously, playing against Nick Foles makes a huge, huge difference, but it's going to be a grinded-out game in the cold either way, and I'm not trying to get too ahead of myself. Yeah, so we were talking before we went on air, Jesse and I, about if we were watching the finish of that game, and neither of us actually saw the finish live. I was watching the first half, and I was, I was, I was, work. I was unable to see the finish, but then I saw the final score... And that's when I texted you, like, congrats, like, a simple congrats text, no, like, exclamation, like, I didn't yeah. know, like, how it happened or anything. Oh, yeah. So, like, congrats on the win. And then, at that moment, I went to, on my computer to check the highlights, and I'm watching these highlights unfold, I'm watching the fourth quarter, and I'm thinking, there is, like, 30 seconds left, they're yeah. around 20, like, and I, I look at my phone again to make sure that I have the score right. Like, yeah. The Vikings win this game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a bad then, text to send yeah, if we had yeah. lost. Yeah. I, I was worried about that, I was like, yeah. shoot, did I just, like, send the wrong text to Sully? Um, but sure enough, I watched the highlights. Marcus Williams, man, that that and, tackle. Like, I, yeah, I feel bad for that dude. Uh, you know, he handled it supremely, Re- yeah, um, really like supremely bad. well. So, props to that guy. It. You know what he's doing? It just. Yeah, it just it's like how it worked. It just happens in football. It's, it's just, just like I don't know, man. Like he tried I mean, to go. They big say game. they say don't blame him. Blame the coaches, but. At some point, you're a football player. You gotta know yeah, what the I mean, situation is. Exactly. You can't like give up your body. And, in that and I, having being someone who pretty much predominantly uses hit stick and Madden, I've been in that situation <laughs> a lot where I just miss the tackle and they run for a touchdown. So I get that. But yeah, I think you just say like at a certain point, it's like damn. And he knows that. You know, we, we don't really need to nap. Yeah, like, I made like mistake. audible noises when I watched the highlights like by myself. And oh then, yeah. Like and then I texted you and then I looked and then I looked at your Twitter and of course. It was all yeah. caps, everything, mm-hmm. as, as yeah. like your brother and everything. So. Yeah, it was just, it, I don't, it was just crazy, man. Like, I still am not over it. Like, thinking about it, it's just, like, one of the most shocking things in my entire life. Like, you know, watching the Lakers win five world championships was great. Obviously, never forget that. Like, the Dodgers going to the World Series this past year was fantastic. I feel like those were all, like, expected, though. That's what I mean. This was not, the Vikings is never expected. And that was the beautiful part about it, so... I'm so excited for Sunday. I actually have a couple of friends who are Eagles fans that are flying out to Philadelphia for the game. Wow. Bought tickets and airline flights like within an hour of them winning. So that'll be dope for them. Um, and if the Vikings win, flights from Minnesota are $215 right now. I'm only going to go up. I'm only going to go up. <laughs> How much tickets? I don't know yet, but I got free places to stay because I got family yeah. out there. You, gotta, you know what you got to so, do? If the, if the Vikings are winning on Sunday and it's like third quarter, no, fourth quarter. I'm not doing that. No, that's that a is terrible the, idea. That is the worst thing to do. I obviously thought about that, but I just know the Vikings. No, but like I'm saying like two minutes left if it's looking good. If you're up like 20, would you consider yeah. buying those tickets, those plane tickets? Yes. Yeah, I think it's I think, more so. Because I think once the final score happens, those, those, it's only going to go up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I even considered like flying into North Dakota and driving over, whatever the yeah. easiest option would yeah. be, you know, like something like that, or flying into Wisconsin and, and driving back. But we shall see. It was crazy, man. The craziest football game I've ever watched in my entire life. More so just because like it personally affected yeah, me, 100%. and that's why it's yeah. like you know, I can understand more so now. Uh, being on the other side of that, not feeling the pain that usually comes with those games, was oh. a, was a pretty wonderful thing. I can't even imagine being a Saints fan in this situation. I mean, obviously you saw it firsthand, but just they the... were so disgusted. <laughs> was it just like, like quiet? Was it just like shock? Was it anger? It was. It's kind of like that. You know, everyone has their own reaction to something like that, and it was a mix of all those three. Like yeah. some people are just sitting in their seat, not moving at all. Some people immediately said, like you know, dropped an f bomb, <laughs> left right away. Some people kind of like ordered another drink. It was. Everybody's like, you're, you're, I'm, I'm the person who I, I don't move. I sit and I look, I, and that's and how I just, that's, that's my, like, I understand that completely. I found that out during the, the game seven of, yeah. of Dodge. Well, yeah. You stayed much I, later than I anybody. literally stayed for like six hours, but that's all I met up some friends. But it was also like I would have been there for an hour yeah. after had it not. So 
It was craziness, man. I'm excited for Sunday. Um, both yeah. games will be cool. I think it'll be two more wins to get. You gotta remember, it's still two more wins to get. Oh, one, trust one me, game, I, one game he knows. Time. People he have knows. been texting me like, "Bro, like you're gonna get tickets," and I'm like, "We need to, we need yeah. to win this game first. Like, yeah, we got it." And I'm not overlooking the Eagles. I think yeah. I don't think the Vikings are either. That's one thing that benefits us in this situation is that we've never like had a game where it's like we should probably win and go to the Super Bowl. Like the team is like, "Yo, like we gotta yeah. win this game." Yes, yeah. you know that's the the theme I've seen through the entire thing. And whenever you're ready. Okay. And today we are looking at to be joined by our. our well, let me start that real quick. I got it. I'm just going to keep going. Um, I'm just going to intro the guest, but say before we get to that, got, okay. we got an ad. Um, for episode 48, we are lucky enough to be joined uh, by our most recent guest, Tori McAdams, who's a freelance writer. But before we get to that, we'd like to you know talk a little bit more about Challenger Haircut because. I've been on this 2018 hype of looking fresh, staying fresh, feeling good, and Challengers certainly helped me get to that next level. You know, my hair, the matte product is always on point. Long day, the hold is always in there. It's been fantastic. Um, but also, you know, if you listen to our last little discussion about Challenger, Nick said that he would be starting the new year on a new note, growing out the flow, mm-hmm. beginning to style and look fresh. So, Nick, how's that gone for you so far? Well, as you guys might be able to tell in the studio, but not obviously on the podcast, my hair is growing a little bit longer. I have not got my monthly haircut that I do at the beginning of each month because I'm letting it grow out to see what I can do. I actually just received my case of the Challenger Matte Cream Pomade with the medium to firm hold. I tried it on just this morning, just this morning before the podcast. I got a little dab and put it on my hair. Uh, Obviously, my hair is not quite long enough to do full uh, work with it, but I was testing it out and boy does it hold firm, boy does it feel nice, and boy does it smell nice as well. The Challenger Matte Hair Care product, uh, Sully has been rocking it for a while now. Mm -hmm. I just got it and I am very pleased. I cannot wait to do more with this as my hair grows longer. Uh, It lasts all day from what I've heard. Um, And it's actually Amazon Prime eligible, which is a big key to this. Uh, So go on Amazon and get your uh, new case of Challenger Matte uh, from Challenger Hair Care. if you order now, you'll get it before the next episode airs, most likely, uh, and it can be styling like your favorite podcast hosts, Sully and uh, Jesse. And yeah, and I mean, I'm excited personally to see. You know, I haven't seen long hair Nick really almost ever. You know, so I'm excited to see. I see it growing out uh, just as long as it may have ever been for for me, saying at least. And uh, I'm excited to see where he goes with it. I'm excited to see what Challenger can really do to improve. Uh, Nick's hair game, you know, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I'm holding the, the jar right now, and it's just, it's a sleek design, too. You know, you got the blue matte uh, lettering here, and uh, blue on the black. I really like that uh, juxtaposition there, and man, what can I say? A Challenger juxtaposition. hair Juxtaposition. Wow. That's a good word. It's going to be word. a great 2018 with Challenger. Absolutely. We good with that? All right, here we go. All right, ready? And today, before we get to our latest interview with Tori McAdams, a freestyle writer from right here in Los Angeles, someone I grew up with, uh, we'd like to talk to you a little bit more about Challenger hair care. Uh, as you know, I've made it a promise to start this year as fresh as possible, and Challenger has been helping me do that, as well as my co-host here, Nick, who has grown out the flow and trying to get Challenger within his hair and looking fresh. So how's that gone so far, Nick? It's going well. As you guys can notice, my hair is grown out. Didn't get the first of the month haircut like I usually do, and I actually just received my first jar of Challenger Matte Hair Care product in the mail today. I actually used it this morning before we went on air, uh, and... My hair is not quite long enough to do full work like I want to do in 2018, but I did give it a test run, and boy, did it not disappoint. Uh, the style cream is holds firm. It seems like it's going to last all day. The casing on this jar is nice, too. The juxtaposition of the blue lettering over the black case. And for, if you guys don't know, uh, this is Amazon Prime eligible. So if you go to our show notes here on SoundCloud, you can find a link to the uh, Challenger Hair Care product. This is the Challenger Matte 
cream pomade, medium firm hold. I'm excited about 2018. I can't wait to do more of this. I'm holding it right now in my hand and I can't wait to put more of it in my hair as the year progresses. All right, whenever you're ready. All right, well, thanks again to Tori McAdams for joining us here. There was a lot of really good gems in there that I'm excited to kind of re-listen to. A lot of one-liners that were really fun yeah, from Tori. Really good with words, as you could probably imagine yeah. with his articles. Sometimes and stuff. we're not so smart, so it's good to be around someone who is so highly intelligent. And it helps out our vocabulary, I feel like. Exactly, you know? but we're going to move on here to, uh, we were talking a little bit about Lakers basketball, but mm-hmm. we're going to go into a little different thing. It's a, pretty much everybody knew what happened over the uh, this last week. Uh, when it came to fights, and you know, we wanted to parlay that into start start bench cut, mm-hmm. uh, which is our latest segment that we're kind of rocking with. And obviously, again, you start one, you bench one, you cut one. Your favorite kind of things. What's on your team? And uh, we're going NBA fights. Mm-hmm. So we had Clippers Rockets. Obviously, a lot of people involved in that: Ariza, Chris Paul, Austin Rivers, Blake Griffin, um, even Clint Capella got in there somehow as a Trojan <laughs> horse. Yeah, that was my favorite part of it. Um, you know, and then you got the the Ben Simmons Kyle Lowry beef that happened just the game before on the same day, and then you got Aaron Oflalo, uh, Compton Aaron Oflalo with the European guy whose name that I'm not even going to try and pronounce. So start bench cut NBA fights. What do you guys got? Mm. Well, I'm first of all let me just say that. I know it's violence is not good to see in the NBA, but at the same time, it's kind of nice to have some rivalries kind of eking back into the game here. Because the NBA had gotten a little soft, in my opinion. Everybody was buddy-buddy. I kind of miss the old-school rivalries with, you know, animosity toward each other. So in that sense, I kind of enjoyed seeing this. Obviously, we don't want any uh, violence. I know the NBA and Adam Silver probably don't want that either. Speak for yourself, then. But yeah, I think I think they're actually going to promote this. Like, next yeah. time the Rockets <laughs> and the Clippers Adam play. Silver. Are you telling me that any time ESPN doesn't have a game where two of these players are in it, they're not going to show pretty much strictly that highlight oh. as, like, the yeah. advertisement? Oh, Obviously, no, like, the, show, the NBA show. won't. NBA is not going to, you know, like, advertise it, but they're certainly not going to shy away from it. Yeah, yeah they exactly. Said, they're, they've been doing investigations, like, interviewing people around the locker room and, like, Staples Center corridors, like, and, find out really happened. Yeah, and can I say quickly before we get into it, did you guys see Shaq and Charles' reaction? Hilarious. That's, that's well, the Oh, what a moment for TV history. Yeah. Shaq throwing the papers in the air. Incredible. I wish I could just, you know, <laughs> gift that and pin it to my page. I might the best thing, it. It, was, it was genuine, like, Laughter, yeah. like they were, they were laughing so, and it was so genuine that yeah. it was just like it was incredible. I mean, this this game, this fight. I'm obviously gonna start this because it had so many angles to it before the game even start, before the game even ended. There was Austin Rivers on the bench, Patrick Beverly, the Blake Griffin, Mike D'Antoni scuffle. Mike yeah, D'Antoni, D'Antoni just like yelling in his face, um, and then after the game, obviously the memes that came out of the tunnel, secret tunnel for Chris Paul, Clint Capella at the door, Ariza, all of this, you know. I think your coworker Ashley Brewer Sully was in the corridor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's ABC, right? Yeah, she yeah, was. She was one of the first responders, I guess you could say, to the scene, along with uh, some other people. Thank you for your service, Ashley. <laughs> first uh, responders. <laughs> um, but this was this was amazing. It was one of the best days of NBA Twitter. And the the funny part is, like nobody, like half the country didn't even know about it till the next morning. This started getting underway yeah, at like ten fifteen p.m. I actually didn't know about it because I was yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, one time I went to bed and I oh, that's up, right. Looked at my phone. I was like, well, then. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm going to have to take a look at this. Yeah, from 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. that night, it was Monday night, Twitter was amazing. Just all the people tweeting, chiming in. And then, like you said, uh, Sully, the Shaq and Charles just laughing at Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So let's LED. get to that that star bench cut. Who wants to lead so, it off? Anyone? Well, so he's starting. I'm starting. He's starting yeah. uh, Clippers yeah. Rockets. I just, want, I just want to talk about it a little bit because I, I get just thought it was amazing. Uh, I'm going to start that just because of how much it brought to the NBA sort of like cultural media, mm-hmm. NBA Twitter. 
Um, I'm going to bench the fight between Aaron Aflalo and Bielitsa because although those punches were thrown, headlocks were taken, uh, you know, it was over pretty quickly. I did appreciate that it happened on the court and it was some pretty rough play, rough fights, one of the rougher ones we've seen in a while. So mm-hmm. I'll bench that. Uh, and I'm going to cut the uh, Ben Simmons and Kyle Lowry beef because it was just kind of like a beef. There's no real physical altercation, just some more words. You know, Lowry's telling, I guess he thinks he's somebody. And then Ben Simmons saying, like, I, I won't play around. So, you know, it was just some, some animosity in the NBA. That, that's my start bench cut. So? This is tough because I go back and forth and I feel like you can really get into the details of how it would go. So if you want to literally start bench cut fights, the Clipper fight, I'm going to bench because zero punches are thrown and it's all talking. It's classic Clippers rocket stuff. I love it. Tell me, like, you know, we love the whole situation. Mm-hmm. I love the, you know, the back way hallways and all that stuff. But as far as fighting goes, there was, you know, just scheming. That's all that was. And talking trash and pretty much, you know, vocal pillow fighting. And yeah. that's what Chris Paul has been known for his entire career. True. Patrick, Patrick Beverly, you know. Just He's probably the only one the on only the Clippers that that's really about that life. Really would have actually done anything. And, like, I love that, you know, they had to call the police. That's a joke. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And, like, that's just, it was blown out of proportion. That I, just, I just imagine Blake Griffin personally on the phone calling the police mm-hmm. trying to get him to come in there. I, hope, I, I imagine it was Milos because he had no idea what was going on. Is it a coincidence that Blake Griffin has been involved in two of the biggest like, kind of NBA internet controversies? There was the DeAndre Jordan like being barricaded in his house that one free agency <laughs> period, and then t- and then this happened. Blake Griffin's in the middle of all. I know, I, and I actually gain respect for Blake Griffin because I think he kind of took that role like I'm done with Chris Paul. Like I don't need to be like you know buddy did. buddy with you. That's you know? true. It, it is. So I appreciate that, but I'm still gonna bench that. Um, or sorry, I'm gonna cut that. Benching, I will do the Aflala one because a, a punch is actually thrown then again uh, and you know it's actually some little physical altercation it was quick quick to it that's I feel like what a lot of NBA fights are like so I'll just keep that on the bench nice little piece to think about whenever you want to look at a nice little like uh, highlight I want to get your thoughts quickly on that so mm-hmm. who do you think actually was kind of the victorious member of that fight I mean Aaron Aflala started off with throwing some big punches but then he kind of got in that headlock pretty fast yeah I would say Aaron probably took the L there. I oh, guess. I completely I disagree. I don't know. I mean, again... <laughs> Aaron Aflalo swung with so much passion. He did, he did. <laughs> and he didn't connect, but if he would have connected, that's a connector that suspends you for, like, a long time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and so I'm gonna, I, I'm just going to go on a limb here and start the Simmons Lowry, just on the fact that just because Kyle, when Ben pointed to the locker room, he was like, here we go, Ben, let's go. And that was my favorite product because he legitimately looked like, oh, I cannot wait to fight you, dude. And that is uh, some true passion, you know? The Clippers, I don't know if any of them actually wanted to fight. They just wanted to do some crazy stuff, you know, go to through the back alley at Staples Center, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Kyle Lowry legitimately was like, let's go. Yeah, he wanted it. And he does not, he has like five less inches on Simmons, and it did not stop him one bit. So that's me. Jess, I'd love to hear what you got to say about this. Yeah, so I'm going to, um, I, I think I do, I, I, I like that insight with, I mean, a, a technical start bench cut with fighting. Yes. You know, uh, no punches were thrown in Clippers Rockets on the court, at yeah. least, that we know of. True. Um, and word is that there was no physical altercation in the locker room no. either. I still have to start Clippers Rockets because of just, like Nick said, the the reaction to everything. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Paul is hilarious in the fact that he's like, oh, like you think I don't know my way around this place? Let's have some fun. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> And then the Clint Capella aspect of him knocking on the front door at the same time mm-hmm. is so funny to me. And then I think Ariza was really probably about that action. And that's what, like, word is coming out of the investigation so far is that 
Trevor Ariza was really like really I about it, like going see. in the locker room, wanted it, and Chris Paul was like there, but like and Harden apparently were were trying to like subdue him a little bit. Like, but they were still there, but they were trying to subdue Ariza. Like, Ariza really wanted it. And you can see on the court, he really wanted it with Austin Rivers and Blake Griffin. Quickly, too, it's funny that all those dudes are in an ad together. I just realized that. Harden, Ariza, and Chris Paul. They really are all on that. They're in a state farm, and Ariza's singing. Singing But he's still, I still something. agree with you. He would be the one. Yeah, he's a scrapper, just like Beverly. Those guys, if anyone's, would be the ones to do it. Yeah, I really think they were about it. And, I mean, just all the on-court stuff was great, too. And I think it's going to carry over to the next game, and I think something's going to happen next And game. right now they're 2-7 and seven in the West, so that would be a playoff matchup at this point. Would be so incredible. Would be. That would be. I'd be. I could upgrade that to at least bench. Yeah. If we yeah. <laughs> And then I'm going to bench uh, Aflalo and that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'm not going to try. BJ? Um, yeah, so it, I, because of just because of the fact that, like, Aflalo is just at the tail end of his career, doesn't care anymore. He's like, <laughs> you know what, like, maybe, hey, I hope I connect on this, and I hope you suspend him for the season so I can just retire instead. <laughs> He's like, just on the magic. He's like, he old doesn't man care. on the magic, doesn't care. I love it. And it's like, you, you, you can't, like, he's going to give you that smoke. Yeah, like, that's true. You, I guess this guy's from Serbia or something, so he doesn't really know that Aflalo's about it. But yeah. I'm going to bench him for that. And it's tough. I don't want to cut Simmons-Lowry for the exact reason that you said it as well. Like, mm-hmm. Kyle Lowry was ready to go. Yeah. And that's why I love that. I like love the seeing... The dog is so money. It was the passion. He's like, oh, you you ready? You actually want this? Here we go. And he, like, he was ready for it. And then Simmons just walks away, goes the other way, yeah. and doesn't seem like he's actually about it. No. But that's my that's my start bench cut. Um, Clippers Rockets is gonna be so fun going yeah. forward. And that's that's a that's a I think all of those any way you twist it I think that one was fine. I guess you know, it comes down to semantics to a certain point. Like exactly. Also. So I'd love to hear some of y'all viewers start bench cut for those three. Let us know what you got going, and that would be good to go. And to go for it. Go for it. And now let's get into a little fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. Swine, what's on the menu today? Nothing's on the menu for me, but I have a question for you. Oh, really? What's on the Whataburger menu? Because no, as no, we touched no. on, mm-hmm. uh, you did say you stopped through Texas, uh-huh. and you know what you do in Texas. Yeah. Everybody says you have to go to Whataburger. Yeah. So talk to us. What and, did you get? How did yeah, you feel? Actually, I'll even double down for you because I actually stopped at Waffle House as well, which I've never been to. So you never been to? I thought you had been to. Never been to Waffle House. They texted me while I was at uh-huh. work. Uh, d- couldn't get back to him in time, and he tried to tell me that they didn't go, which I knew was not true. But, yeah, so yeah. I'll do both of these. Didn't get to a Zaxby's, which is the other spot I wanted yeah, to, to but did, did not get to that. So uh, the Whataburger in and out debate, obviously, is, is the highly contested one, and everyone, I think I tweeted about this, and I think that was really how I still feel. It, it's more that it's a pride thing for your area. You know, obviously the burger's not as good. There's just not... like That's the same. If you just did a blind taste test, it's just not... I don't understand how you could pick Whataburger. Or and also Joe continued to tell me that it's Whataburger because there's only one T and that's how they pronounce it. That's how you're supposed to say. <laughs> All right, Joe. But Whataburger. Um, Joe's not even like. Joe, that is nothing like. This is a conversation. Joe's Mississippi and LA, time. and he's over here time. trying to talk I, about Texas. Uh, comparable to me, I would say it's like a fresher version of Burger King burgers because it's got that mustard base on the patty. Um, almost in a sense too, like fat burger. But mm-hmm. I still... It does have a fat would, burger feel. I, it should almost be, like, compared to fat burger, you know? Like, yeah. that's what it is. And I would, like, still pick fat burger because it's L.A. And I can understand that, you know, Texas and whatever that part of the country wants to do can pick Whataburger because it's that thing. But in and out is just clearly better. Like, the fries... People make a big difference about the fries, too. I didn't think the fries were out of this world. They're good. Either. You know, they're, like, solid. They're just regular fast food fries. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't bad. 
but it wasn't better than it now. And what I hear too back, is the know. biggest thing for Whataburger is the honey butter chicken biscuit. Yeah, and I did not get to try that. Yeah, and I have not yet been able to have that as well. Yeah, I, I received a lot of messages telling me I should go try that too. Didn't get a chance to get there in the morning. They sell it from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Which is great. Which is fantastic. Yeah, props to them. Being open 24 hours too is, is big. Huge. Um, yeah, and then also just going over to the Waffle House just quickly. Staple of the South. Like, they're everywhere. Had to just check and check it out. I got the two change special, you know, the Texas toast with the hash browns. Got some country gravy on top. It was good. I think Joe described it best in the sense that Waffle House is always going to be consistent, but it's never going to blow you away. And I think that's the way to look at it. You know, it's a great place to stop in. Again, 24 hours a day. You can always just get that quick meal, you know, whatever it is. If you had to compare on your road trip, Mm -hmm. the Whataburger or Whataburger and Waffle House, those two meals side by side, which one did you enjoy more? Probably Whataburger. Okay. I think. I like the burger. Uh, the f- just by food quality, the experience. I think I would go to Waffle House because you get to do the, the sit experience down. for Waffle House is is amazing. Yeah, and I I didn't hate the food. You know, like Texas toast on a patty melt, which is what I got, was delicious. But it's like very simple, and it's it's very just in their lane. You know, it's interesting. I would have yeah. said like if, if I were to compare those two, I probably would have went Waffle House just because like part of it is the hype mm-hmm. that was kind of let down for me for Whataburger. Yeah, but like the Waffle House. I think Waffle House is delicious and it's cheap, and I just enjoy that. I enjoyed that meal more. I think every I, time I, had I just House. I was more hyped for Waffle House. Well, oh really? Whataburger. I think I just had heard so much about it. I was like, I just have to do this. You know, yeah. like I had to go. I, I don't think like let's say that debate had never existed. I wouldn't have gone. I don't think you know. I strictly went yeah, I just to that. compare it. You know? Yeah, because I wanted to ask if you if you can. And I, I know it's tough to mm-hmm. remove the in and out bias from this, but if you had to go into Whataburger and you did. And come out with some stars for it without the in and out bias there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like seven. You okay. know, like like it's solid. It's like a... a, a it's good. It's good. You know, I'd go again. Um, but I think there's just such a huge culture surrounding it now. It makes it harder, and it's hard to remove that. And we need the honey butter chicken biscuit. Like, yeah, next time is... I go back, I mean, I'm planning on uh, going to that yeah. uh, USC-Texas game in Austin next mm-hmm. year. So definitely going to have more for you come September. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm looking forward to going back to Hopefully I'll be on that trip as well, and that would be phenomenal yeah we shall see well thank you very much Sully that has Mm -hmm. been a good southern version of the fast food flavor fast food flavor fast food flavor start you or who does it matter whenever you're ready you know what time it is it's the end of the show super hot interesting takes or shout outs Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying so uh I'm going to go over and throw it to Sol here. He's got uh, some shout-outs here. Yeah, huh? I'm just going to keep that southern food trend going. I just want to shout-out two places in New Orleans. Now that I've gone two times, these are my two favorite restaurants there. Absolute must-go-tos. Um, one is, is kind of pretty famous, and one is more of a hole in the wall that other people know about. Willie Mae Scotch House, yeah. best fried chicken in the nation. I tweeted about it from our page. Um, life-changing. I mean, that's, I literally all I can say is, like, I, I think certain foods to me, like fried chicken, I always thought I had capacity of how good it could be. And until I went there, I realized that it was just, there's things maybe I just need to experience. You know, it's almost, it's, it's just life-changing. I don't want to say, it's so, so good. Jesse's been there with me before, Very too. Good. I have red beans and rice and macaroni and cheese, equally bomb. And also, uh, a place called Parasols, which is an Irish channel, had a firecracker shrimp po' boy. We tried to go last wow. time, but we couldn't. Joe and I went back, and it was the best sandwich I had in my entire life. Like, bar none. And mm-hmm. I, like, I, my buddy Will, who suggested it to me, I texted him. And I told him that I was upset that he sent me here because now i got to live the rest of my life knowing that I can only come here so often <laughs> and I won't be able to get these sandwiches so consistently. Um, but Nick, I believe you also have some for us. 
Yeah, I have a shout-out and a take, and they both have to do with what we were talking about earlier, and that's the Clippers, Rockets, mm-hmm. fiasco, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'll start with my shout-out. You know, there were so many funny tweets, like I mentioned, so many funny reactions, responses to what happened, and I was figuring out, we can't retweet all these on the page, we can't retweet all these, we have to pick some. Uh, I saw Jesse retweet it first, actually, and then we put it onto our Cautiously page. Shout-out to uh, a sports writer, Sarit Sohi, I believe is how you pronounce her name, her Twitter handle is called Damien Trillard, which is a great name in its own mm-hmm. right. But uh, her tweet was, congratulations to Chris Paul on actually leading a team somewhere. Classic. And that was amazing. And she started, that got that went viral, and she started seeing that it was like retweeted like 18,000 times. And then she tweeted after that, you got guys, you have to sell high on me right now. Like, this is, this never happens to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, right. she's, she's a writer over at SB Nation, and she also writes for The Athletic. Um, She's based in Toronto, so shout out to her for kind of stealing the show on the reactions, Jess. And yeah, quick, uh, I just want to throw out my favorite one, which mm-hmm. was, that was probably my favorite until I saw another one, where uh, there's a video of Chris Brown in a club, and he goes, um, and he's, he's, sitting, he's sitting there and a fight breaks out, and on the mic he goes, oh, they really getting it in over there, <laughs> and then like he's like smiling, and then gunshots, pop, pop, yeah. and Chris Paul shies away, so, oh, Chris Paul, sorry, Chris Brown. Brown shies away really quick and so the meme was that video and it was like um austin rivers talking in the locker room and then he sees the door the secret door open and it's it so perfect oh, it's so perfect uh, that's good yeah and uh my take also has to do with this chris paul is also involved in this too if you remember in the post game interview he threw so much shade indirectly at uh blake griffin for sent, for telling uh, reporters that the clippers are actually lou williams's team <laughs> after the game that's hilarious and as a you know he's not that wrong my take is that i believe lou williams i looked at the stats i'll read them off to you but i think lou williams should be an all-star this year um i'm gonna read you his january games uh, 33 points 26 points and 10 assists 23 points 34 points 50 points seven assists 30 points six assists 26 points and then 31 and 9 against the Rockets most recently. Yeah. He's averaging 23 points per game, 5 assists per game with a 22 PER. I mean, I think that's those are all-star numbers. We know Lou Will has that talent. Yeah. Basketball isn't like, you know, like baseball every team has to have a representative. That's not how it works in basketball, correct? Because you're not on a roster yeah, spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like in that sense it's like if you were going to pick one clipper, I don't see how you don't pick him. Just cuz like yeah. eight eight in, or eight weeks on the DL, like you just can't pick him. There's no one else on the team that's really done anything. They're up in the playoffs right now, strictly because of that little streak they just went on, and which is just because just of Lou. Lou yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a fair take. He, you know, led them to a win over the Warriors in Golden State, and those were just his January numbers. He mm-hmm. on New Year's Eve he had a forty point game as well. So, exactly. Uh, I've always liked Lou Williams, even his time in the Lakers. He's been a good teammate, and it was funny. He was not even involved in the altercation because uh, he was doing media during the yeah. uh, during the mm-hmm. Rockets coming over, and so they asked him like, "Do you know anything about this?" He's like. No, I don't know anything. I was, you know, talking to the media, and I don't know anything. So, but he was kind of making a point not to really talk about it at all. Yeah, because uh, well, he knows he's going to be traded at some point again to another contender. Yeah. So <laughs> he I mean, wants to keep all the friends around. If they're going for a playoff run. They got they got to keep him to get to the playoff run to face the Rockets in the playoffs. Right? Absolutely. So. Also, shout, shout out Gerald Green been a Rocket for twenty days. Was like actually involved yeah. in all this, <laughs> which is hilarious. Well, he just does it for Houston too. I mean, that's the way, he's yeah. from Houston, born and raised. So he just loves that city so much. Actually, I got a really quick end shout-out. Yeah. remember this. I just want to shout-out the Jaguars uh, players talking trash to Mike Mitchell. Continuing to refer to him as Mike What's-His-Name and not knowing who he is. Because if you don't know this, Mike Mitchell put out a quote before the game saying, like, I can't wait to beat the Patriots, essentially. And all the Jaguars screenshotted it. And yeah. then after the game, or before the game, Mike Mitchell came in front of their locker room and said, y'all go know my name. <laughs> Screamed in the locker room. 
So then after the game, once they beat him, about four or five players are like, yeah, Mike, what's his face over there? Didn't do much, did he? So I just like to shout out the pettiness because I love that at every time. And Jalen Ramsey's talking that trash already. He said mm-hmm. they're going to win the Super Bowl. I saw that. And he said he did that to fire the Jags fans, so I appreciate that. Yeah. And I like Jalen. I like the Jags. I mean, you're going to – it's Jags versus the world right now. Yeah, Jags versus the world, baby. Um, except for the Vikings' skull. So Man, that's going to really, wrap up. Yeah, okay. I really hope the Jags win. But, yeah, we can wrap it up now. Yeah, really I can't hope. wait. Next time we talk to you, we'll be, you know, waiting on hopefully a Vikings-Jags Super Bowl. Uh, shout out again for Tori coming on the show, yes. uh, talking about all, all his great articles. So check those out. Um, listen to his radio shows that he's doing bi-weekly, bi-monthly, all the different variety of it. And uh, we'll see y'all very, very soon.